Welcome to the Ham and High podcast. Speaking to Sally Patterson for this episode is another of the candidates in May's election for the Mayor of London. Many listeners will recognise Brian Rose. In his own words, he's on the billboards and in the suits. But he's also behind the self-proclaimed free speech digital channel, London Real, which has come under fire for giving a platform to dangerous conspiracy theories. As you'll hear from the start of this interview, he claims to be confident about his chances in the election. But then, this is the era when Donald Trump made it to the West Wing, so who knows. Here is Hampstead's Brian Rose. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the Ham and High podcast this morning. How is your campaigning going? You know, it's going absolutely fantastic. I spoke with the team about six months ago. And by the way, we've been campaigning for six months, actually. We started on October 14th. I said back then, if you had told me that we would be basically considered the only candidate that can beat Sadiq Khan, we'd be getting two-page spreads in the Times and the Evening Standard, uh, and people on the streets would be coming up and stopping me saying, Brian, we know you're going to win. I think we all would have been a little surprised six months ago that we would have had this much momentum. We could have been so far ahead of the conservative candidate. So we're really excited. We got 20 days left and we think we're going to pull off the biggest upset in British political history on May 6th. So before we get into some of your policies specifically, how did you end up in Hampstead and why did you why did you pick Hampstead as your home? So I have lived in London for 21 years now um, and I've lived all over London. Uh, when I first got here back in 97 uh, and then when I came back in 02, I lived in Notting Hill because that was the spot that kind of felt cool to me, felt the closest thing to the East Village in New York City where I had come from. Um, And then I, of course, was working in the city in finance. And at some point, I moved to Shoreditch because it's where all the cool kids were. And that's where London Real Studios has been for 10 years, my broadcasting platform. And then I uh, met my girlfriend who became my wife. And she had a daughter um, that was four years old, who's now 17. And I adopted her. And I just thought, you know what, Shoreditch wasn't the best place for kids. So uh, I looked at the Northern Line and I started going up the Northern Line. And I first went to Belsize Park and then I went to Hampstead. Um, I knew Dr. Rupert Sheldrake from my show and he was in Hampstead and he would tell me about it. And I finally just chose first Belsize Park um, because it was six stops away from Old Street. So my commute was there. And I really fell in love with Primrose Hill. I'd never been to Primrose Hill in my whole time here in London. And I was like, wow, what a golden discovery. So I moved there. It was a little slow at first compared to Shoreditch, but now I love it. And then we moved to Hampstead about two years ago. And I run the Heath. I jump in the men's pond. I just I just absolutely love it. I think it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Brilliant. I mean, there's definitely been a rise in cold water swimming, hasn't there, over lockdown? It's become a real craze. But were you doing it yeah. before it was cool? I was. I had a guest on my show named Wim Hof, um, who kind of reinvented the ice bath. Um, and he's really famous for it. He's called the Iceman. And I've had him on my show for the last five years. So he taught me how to get in cold water, how to do the breathing exercises. So I was a little bit of an early adopter. But there's some, there's some old timers up in the pond that have been doing this for 20 years. So they humble me when I get up there, but I, I do backflips into the pond. I post it on Instagram. Uh, some people like it. Some people, some people don't. <laughs> and that's social media for you. And so you've lived all over London now. What would you say makes a Londoner? I feel like a Londoner is someone who 
they're optimistic about the future. They know they can have anything they want if they put in the work, if they have the visions, they have the goals. I wouldn't say that's true in every city, but I think anyone can come to this city or anyone can grow up in this city or move to this city from somewhere in Britain and they can make something for themselves. And uh, I don't think there's many places like that. And I think it still exists to this day, although London hasn't had its best year. Um, but I believe a Londoner is someone who is willing to put in the work to become whoever they want to be. And uh, I also think it's that indomitable spirit that something that always impressed me about Londoners and honestly, the British, you know, they just get back to it and get on with it. And that's the thing that attracts me. And that's why I feel like London's in my DNA. It flows through me. I, I feel like somehow I am a Londoner and always was, even though I was born on the beaches of San Diego with surfers and, you know, sunshine, but this feels like home to me, probably because of that. And, you know, as we know, there are a lot of candidates running for mayor this year. And there is a lot, quite a few actually that have set themselves as a kind of independent outsider, maybe anti-lockdown, anti-establishment in some ways. What makes your campaign so unique? So I think there are 20 candidates right now running for mayor. Um, as I said before, we have been campaigning to be mayor for six months. And so I've spent actually the past eight months studying the city of London, studying every single issue that London faces. I feel like I have a PhD in the, the problems that London has. And I broke it down to four important things that Londoners care about. They care about rebuilding their economy. They care about crime. They care about transport and housing. And I've gone in big on this. You know, I, when I do something, I go all in, whether it was my podcast or an Ironman race I did a few years ago or my time in the city, I just go all in. And so I managed to speak with some very high level people about how to fix these problems. And, you know, something we just published a few days ago, um, I know you probably can't see this for people that are listening, but it's our manifesto and it's a 50 page document detailing everything down to the pound of what I want to do for this city. And I think this shows everyone that we're a different kind of candidate because whatever happens to me, I think this is the blueprint of how we save London for the next 10 years. And again, I've spoken with senior members of the House of Lords, senior members of the Metropolitan Police, senior members of TFL, top level architects, doctors, scientists, entrepreneurs, and they've all backed me in this plan. So I think when people see me, they don't see a fair weather candidate that has a complaint about London. Anybody can complain. I bring solutions. And that's what I tell my team every day. Don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. And so I come and I have, of course, issues with what the current mayor has done. He's devastated this city. He's failed in every way. Um, and yet I bring solutions. This is how we're gonna fix the police, make TFL profitable, build housing and rebuild the economy. So that's what makes me different. And I think people are starting to see it. They first notice me because I'm on the billboards and I wear the suits, but when they actually spend some time on my website or they talk to me in the streets, they're like, oh, this guy really cares about London. He's thought about this stuff. He has 30 years of business experience and he really wants to fix these problems. And that's why I think we're so popular right now. And, and that's why I think we're gonna win. And you've mentioned your, your giant billboards around London and also your signature look with your kerchief. Are you happy to say how much money you've spent on your campaign? So I've been asked a few times and uh, I've, I've, I've you know, answered, it's, it's, uh, it's seven figures. And uh, the reason it's, it's so big, or if you consider that you know, big, which I guess you could, is because you know, eight months ago, I, I went home and, and took my chief of staff here 
uh, to dinner with my wife and I said, honey, I'm going to run for mayor. And she said, why? Why would you do that? You know, your, your media company, London Real, business has never been better. Uh, your viewership has never been better. The world has never needed your voice for free speech. Why do this? Like, why do this? You're going to be up for criticism. You're going to have to pause everything else. And I was like, I just can't sit by and watch these politicians run the city I love into the ground. I've got sons that are three and four years old. But what are they going to ask me in 20 years? Daddy, what did you do in the, in the great crisis of 2021? Did you make some more videos on YouTube and complain? Or did you actually step up and do something? So I decided I'm going all in on this. London has given me so much. It gave me my life back. And so I feel if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all in. So we thought we need people to know who I am because they've never heard of me before. I never had interest in politics before. Um, I'm still not interested in politics, but I'm interested in solving the London problems is what I'm interested in. So yeah, we went big. I put all of the resources of this company into this race and we've we've done everything possible we've had a digital battle bus that's gone over four thousand miles through the city broadcasting live from the back um, i've had police try to ban me from campaigning i've been on billboards we have a 50 page manifesto that's better than any manifesto out there so um yeah it's a lot but um i'm so proud of what we've done and i'm so grateful that i can just be be the person with this message for the city. And yeah, it's been life-changing, this whole this whole campaign. And to confirm, just before we move on, it's this is a self-funded campaign or are you getting sources from elsewhere? No, I'm paying for it all myself, um, which gives me the independence. So again, I, I don't have to check with a political party. I don't have to check with corporate donors. I don't have to check that somebody's got some backroom deal that's going to conflict with what I think is the truth and the right thing for London. So for me, the best idea wins. It could come from a labor or a conservative. I've worked with, with both political parties behind the scenes with ideas they have, but I just put out what I believe is true. And that's what the manifesto is. It's my vision of the truth. So yeah, it's all me. Um, and, uh, it's been worth it. Um, although, uh, Although uh, it, it's, it's, again, it's been challenging to do this whole piece. It's been, uh, it's been eye-opening. Um, but when you meet people in the streets that really, that really kind of are congruent with what you're talking about, people who are just tired of politicians arguing back and forth, they're tired of the labor mayor arguing with the conservative prime minister, uh, they go back and forth and then Londoners pay because nothing gets done. When you talk to those people and they see that you just want the best for the city, it's uh it makes it all worth it let's have a look at your manifesto then a bit more closely um crime is probably the biggest the biggest issue of this campaign across the board what is it about your crime policies and vision that um you think is so appealing to londoners well, first of all, if you look at the current mayor's record on crime, I mean, it's 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 it's, I mean, it's it's abhorring. It really is. It's it's bordering on criminal itself. I mean, for the past five years, knife crime, violent crime, crime in general has gone up every single year on his watch. I think violent crime is up twenty eight point five percent since he took office in two thousand sixteen. Uh, last year, he marked his one hundredth teenager murdered on our streets. And you know as well as I do, every two or three days, there seems to be a stabbing. We had a weekend a while back where there was, I think, 13 stabbings in one weekend. There was one here in the lobby of our building. And so it's something that's so real. I've got a 17-year-old daughter, and she has to walk these streets 
And he is not even talking about the issue. He's actually trying to get the, everyone's vote right now, but he hasn't even addressed his poor record on crime. And so again, eight months ago, I started, I just looked at this with fresh eyes and I said, what's the problem here? And I started speaking with people on uh, all behind the scenes. And I came up with what I think is a very unique but extremely effective two-pronged solution. So the first is more police on the streets. It's not rocket science, but we need more police on the streets to really combat the gangs. Um, and again, I've spoken with senior members of the Metropolitan Police that said, Brian, if you can give me 10,000 officers, like you said, and by the way, they'll cost 300 million pounds, which I will pay for with an infrastructure levy, which I can explain. He said, it, Brian, that will allow us to go head to head with these gangs. It'll also allow us two days per month where we can train our officers probably properly in the community so they can do community-based training, which they used to do years ago. This gives them the option of actually um, doing it in, in the correct manner. And I was at the Lives Not Knives charity in Croydon speaking with Elisa, the founder, about two weeks ago. And she said, the problem we have, Brian, is that you know people get stopped and searched in a disrespectful manner. And it's done by officers that don't even live in the city. And then I go back to the Metropolitan Police and I tell them that. And they said, Brian, we want to make this better. We just need to spend time training with the community and working with the community. Um, and so that's gonna make a massive difference there. Next, I wanna digitize the police. And finally, I want the police to represent the people in our communities and come from those communities. That's race, religions, um, ethnicities. That is gonna make a massive difference from the police side. But you can't police your way out of knife crime. That's a direct quote from one of the officers. And that's why we have to look into the communities. Now I mentored uh, a, a young man for a year back in I think 2009 or 2010 in Homerton. Every weekend, I would go out there and spend four or five hours with him. And if you change a child, you can change your community. But when I look at the community centers, the current mayor of London has defunded them and he's sacked youth workers over the past five years. There is no resources for our teenagers between those crucial hours of 3.30 p.m. when they leave school and 8.30 p.m. when mom or dad comes home. They need more things to do. And so I looked at how can we inject money into the community centers? And I looked at it from a business lens and I thought, why not call up a corporation? Amazons, the Ubers, the HSBCs, and the Barclays, record profits during this past year. This is your chance to give back to the community. I can pick up the phone to a CEO of these companies. I'm not sure the mayor can. And I can say, I've got a win-win situation for you. And there's actually precedence of this. Jamal Edwards, the founder of SBTV, an incredible grime network channel that he created uh, about 10 years ago, was my guest on London Real five years ago. And I called up Jamal and I said, Jamal, you've already done this in Acton. You got 100,000 pounds from Google, 100,000 pounds from the Wellcome Trust. Work with me, let's raise 100 million pounds in the first year, 250 community centers in every borough in London. And so that's what we're doing. It's called Corporates for Communities. We're gonna raise a billion pounds over 10 years. It's a win-win for everyone. But that gives these teenagers something to do. Um, entrepreneur training, health and well-being. It's a real possibility. And again, you don't have to go to the mayor and say, where's my money? And I've spoken with a lot of local leaders in, in Tower Hamlets and Homerton. I've been to every single borough in London twice. And they all say the budget dries up and the mayor doesn't give you the money. He said, we're going to bypass that entirely. It's going to come straight from the corporate. So this is my plan and this will work. And I know how to pay for all of it. And we can implement it on May 7th, right after I'm elected. Again, I think it's time to stop talking about these problems and then solve them. So, yeah, really proud of that solution. It's all in the manifesto. Mm. Thank you for going through that. Um, just on the policing point before we move on, there was something in my in your manifesto that I thought you could just clarify. You have a big emphasis on family and kind of keeping the family together, which I think a lot of people would agree with. 
one thing you do say is that you would train police to come in to, to family disputes to encourage the family to stay together where possible and I just want to check that you don't mean that you would want women to stay with violent partners if, if that was the situation no of course not I just think our, our police need to be properly trained. Unfortunately, you, you sometimes get a frontline officer with very little experience that doesn't even, they don't have the money to pay them very well. And they have to deal with a, a myriad of situations from social media disputes to violent crime on the streets to domestic disputes. And I think we need to train them properly to find best solutions to all of those situations. And our police just don't have the resources. And I think that's why most people are unhappy with the treatment they get from the police. But I, I, I don't think the police should be vilified for that. I think they need to be funded and supported because they want to get better. Um, I spoke with one of the senior members of the Metropolitan Police um, after the, the Sarah Everard situation with the vigil. And um, he said, Brian, 40% of my officers are female. He said, it doesn't feel very good to us when, when, when the mayor starts making judgments about something that happened without picking up the phone and speaking with the commissioner. And these are real people that are struggling to do their job better. And um, I think if we can support them, that they can do a better job. So that's, that's really what I'm trying to make clear in my manifesto and the issues. And again, this is more of my attitude. I don't want to be divisive. It's very popular on social media for one team against the other team and someone's wrong. I think Londoners are incredible people. I think we all want to do better. And I think we just have that conversation. We can allow everyone to do better and move forward as opposed to you know, these people are bad and these people are good. I, I think everyone really wants the city to be the best. You've got very ambitious uh, targets for housing. And um, I wondered how you would deal with um, issues around overpopulated areas, concrete jungles and, and creating senses of communities whilst mass building housing and also ensuring that there is enough council housing and affordable housing within that. Yeah, so if you look at the current mayor's record on building housing and affordable housing, again, it's nothing short of criminal. Back in 2016, he promised he would build 80,000 new homes per year. So five years later, that means he owes us 400,000 new homes. He's built a total of 12,000 homes in that time. It's absolutely shocking. The national government gave him 4.8 billion pounds in 2018. I still haven't seen any houses. I've researched this in detail and it's time to stop talking about building housing and to start building housing. So in December, I contacted one of the senior architects in London, probably in the world. And I said, I saw what you did. Uh, he, this, this man built a project for the Dyson campus, um, uh, for Sir Richard Dyson, where it was called Modular Homes. These are incredible, beautiful homes that are designed, custom designed, built in a factory, and then uh, shipped out and built on site in a matter of weeks. Then I looked at the TFL, which is sitting on 5,700 acres of unused land. That's the size of the borough of Camden, where I live. That land is located in all the boroughs around London. And I said, why can't we build modular homes on the TFL lands fast? And he said, Brian, we can. And so that's why you'll see in my manifesto a mocked up picture of a site in Hackney Wick with the homes already there. This is TFL land. This, this can be built by Christmas. But also something that we also talked about is that you can't have houses without a community. And so if you look at that village in the Dyson village, there are places for community, there are places for health and wellness, there are places for people to interact with each other. And the community is such an important part of that. It's not about just ticking houses off. A lot of times when the politicians give you the numbers, those are one bedroom homes. 
that don't do anything to solve the housing crisis. And by the way, these modular homes can be built in months. Um, they cost uh, about 100,000 pounds each, very affordable, and they're gonna alleviate this issue. And so 50,000 homes by Christmas is something we can actually do. And I wanna do it just to make a statement, to show Londoners that they've been lied to by their politicians, that it shouldn't take five, 10, 20 years to solve some of these issues. Nurses, teachers, police officers, they should be able to afford a home in this city. Otherwise we get, you know, like you said, a concrete jungle. We get these cities that have no, they have no heart and soul because they're, they're these emerald islands where only the high rises and the rich live. Nobody wants to live in a city like that. London's beautiful because we have so many different people and it's beautiful because of its diversity. So I know that we can do this. I have the plans to do this. I know the land where we're gonna do this and I know how we can finance this. And I just wanna show that it can be done so Londoners can be like, oh, wow, we can actually do this. And it will alleviate the massive, massive strain that housing prices and, and rent payments have on Londoners. It's, it's, it's just gotten too much. And finally, before we close, I just wanted to ask if you see yourself in any way as a conspiracy theorist or someone who, who gives platforms to that as you know, I think it's important to point out you have had David Icke, a famous conspiracy theorist, on your platform a number of times. And there will be people who, who find that concerning to use such a big platform to, to spread really dangerous messages. Yeah, you know, when it comes to uh, my platform for 10 years, I have been broadcasting unedited, unscripted and uncensored conversations from my studio in Shoreditch. I've broadcasted over a thousand conversations for free. They've been watched over a half a billion times. And uh, the truth is, David doesn't even hit the top five with people that have complained about some of the people I've had on my show. Rose McGowan, founder of the Me Too movement, uh, has been on my show. Uh, Moazem Beg, uh, who was uh, a Guantanamo Bay prisoner who was unjustly uh, imprisoned by the Americans, was on my show. Even John Cleese, who was on my show last year, was being censored by other social media platforms. And so I had to have him on my show. Um, we've had a whole plethora of people. Edward Snowden's attorney was on my show. Um, and so what I do is I challenge my team every, every week to put someone that I disagree with in the chair, someone who makes me uncomfortable, because I believe the only way we can learn and grow is to listen to ideas that aren't our own. And I believe in freedom of speech. I believe that we have the right to express ourselves. And then as adults to choose what we want to put in our brains and how we want to feel about it. And I was actually out on the street the other day and someone came up to me and said, I don't agree with what that, that guest had to say on your show. And I said, okay. I said, fair enough. I don't agree with everything my guests say either, but do they have the right to say it? And they stopped and said, well, of course they do. I said, well, do you think the government should try to protect you from these ideas? And they said, no, of course not. I should be allowed to choose it, to watch it or not watch it. And then I should be allowed to make that decision. And actually I think these ideas out there allow us to be more firm in our resolves of our opinions when they get challenged like that. And so, yeah, I don't agree with, uh, with what my guests say by any means, but I think it's important to put their ideas out there. Also, over the past 10 years, I've changed my mind and I'll probably change my mind over the next 10 years. And so one thing I won't change my mind about is the, the right to free speech, also the right to free and fair elections. You know, I was I was stopped by the police a few months ago and, and they tried to ban me from campaigning. I think there's some, something fundamentally wrong with allowing someone the right to choose. And so, yeah, I'll always be a proponent for freedom and uh, I'll always entertain you know, uh, that right for freedom of speech.
Thanks to Brian for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit subscribe. We'll be back again soon.